Though I am sure there is great debate about the merits or the quality of Apple computer products, when I mention Apple computer, we know exactly what I'm talking about. The last 20 years, that company has had just an incredible rebirth, renewal. And when you go to an Apple store, when you think of Apple, you think of sleek and some would say easy to use computer products. And you know exactly what you're going to get. You know, in the early 2000s, they came up with this uh, slogan, Think Different, which grammatically has a problem for me. But regardless of that, we know when we think of Apple products, you know, iPhone, iMacs, all those things, there's not a whole lot. It's very clear. It's very simple. There's a very low threshold of access to that company, to its products, to its brand. And in the gospel today, we have John the Baptist who of probably all of the saints and all of the figures in the history of the church has the lowest level of access because his entire life is a radical gift and a pointing toward Jesus Christ. In every way, his life is totally consumed from even in the womb leaping for joy in the presence of Jesus in Mary's womb. John the Baptist points his entire life to Christ. When we say the word John the Baptist, immediately it jumps to our head. The guy out in camel skin, eating locusts and honey, calling people to repentance. Kind of a wild and crazy guy, going for it with all of his heart, vim, and vigor. When we say John the Baptist, we know who that is and all that he is about. In the gospel today, he's in prison, and what does he do? He sends his disciples to Jesus. He sends them there so that they can see the fulfillment of the prophecies that he had told himself, and also the prophecies foretold in the scriptures. Even at the end of his life, as he waited for death, he points even his closest disciples away from himself and toward Jesus. Just in a way like Apple products, right? There's a clear and simple vision and mission that John the Baptist had. And it was effective. And it is attractive. And it means something to us. There's an identity there to which we can relate, even if it be imperfectly. And this is also what drives our hearts. We have this desire to follow. We have this desire to be encompassed and to be welcomed into a mission and a vision for our life that extends beyond us, that points toward something greater. But the reality is, is that the Catholic Church has a terrible identity problem. And this is not a new thing. More or less since the Edict of Milan on a macro level, the church has struggled with her identity. All of a sudden, once the church had earthly power and wealth and honor and all of these things, there has been on a macro level, and we see this terribly and heinously in the abuse cover-up, right? That there was a desire to protect the institution over justice and protection of those who are most vulnerable and at need, and in need, right? The church has always had this tension. On a micro level, especially here in the United States, this has always been true as well. Especially in major metropolitan areas, if you go into that area, you know, it used to be this was the Croatian church, that was the Polish church, there's the Irish church, the Italian church. That has been kind of replaced with a more consumer mentality. Well, that's where you go for this type of liturgy, or that's where you go when you want people who think in this particular political way. We've had this kind of diversion. So basically, any parish or any church you go to might be different, may have a different vision or mission for what the church is all about. 
And this can create confusion, this can create disunity, this can make us un- not necessarily know what direction to point our lives. But today on Gaudete Sunday, we get this opportunity to rejoice. And to rejoice in what? This clear vision for our lives, this clear vision for fulfillment of pointing our life radically toward Christ and following after it. That that is the most important thing. Everything else is derivative of that in the church. It's a radical encounter with the saving and healing love of Jesus Christ and a sharing that with other people in the myriad ways we share that encounter with Christ. What does John do? He sends his disciples and they see the men and women who have encountered Christ and have been healed, have been changed, have converted their hearts and lives, and have the blind are seeing, the lame walk, the dead are being raised. This is radical stuff, but this is what happens to all of us when we encounter Christ, when our life is pointed in that direction. And then from that, we cannot help but point others, like John the Baptist, in that direction to Christ, to the one who saves and sets us free. As Isaiah said, here is your God. He comes with vindication, with divine recompense. He comes to save you. He comes to open your eyes, to heal your lameness, to raise you from the dead. And would that it were so, we'd all have that encounter. And would that it were so, our entire life would be wrapped up in not only re-encountering the Lord, but of bringing others with us. But this requires, as St. James tells us in his gospel, or not his gospel, in his letter, hardship and patience. Hardship and patience. We know from our own lives that a singular encounter with Christ is enough to start a process, but it might take years or decades to get rid of bad habits, to change the way we talk with other people, to give our life more fully to Christ. And so it is when we walk with other people. Jesus came into this world, and instead of coming into the world at the capital of Rome, he comes into Israel and basically spends his entire life wandering in the country, not in the major cities, building up the 12 apostles, one of whom betrayed him, 10 of whom abandoned him in his moment of greatest need. Right? But he invests, he encounters them, he changes their lives, and then when he gives them the Holy Spirit, everything changes, and they cannot help but go to the ends of the world to do the same. But it takes time, and it's a hardship. But as St. James says at the very end of his letter, to save one sinner is to remit all of our sins. If we in our life bring but one person to encounter Christ, if we bring one person who is blind or lame or dead to the Lord, it is to remit all of our sins. The Lord is never outdone in generosity. And we are called today to rejoice in the fact that our God has come to save. Our God has come to, he- has come to heal us, has come to raise us from the dead. Point your life in His direction. If you don't know what that's like, find the holiest person you know and ask for help. Invite yourself into their life. Invite them out to breakfast this morning. Let someone show you the way. And if you are on the right path, invite someone in your life on that path with you. 
when our lives are totally and radically devoted to Christ. When our church here, when our church in Bloomington, when our church in Indianapolis and beyond and beyond and beyond is ordered toward that gift that the Lord gave to us and sharing it in whatever way we can with everyone else, then we can do incredible and amazing things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Our God has come to save us.